All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as usual, I'm talking to you from the borough of Queens in New York City. It is the 22nd day of March, 2022. And I do like to remind you, I publish a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can subscribe to that by going to miningstocks.com miningstocks.com and I'd like to also remind you and encourage you to consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter what is Chen buying what is Chen selling you can do that by going to chenpicks.com chenpicks.com and Chen will be with me and just a, a couple of minutes from now we'll, we'll get his ideas about the markets uh, I do want to thank all of you for listening making this uh, one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel so I want to invite you to keep sending along whatever Comments you have about this show, send them along to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And our sponsors for today's show that make this show economically viable Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Eloro Resources, Han and Metals, Firefox Gold, Timberline Resources, Lion One Metals, and SK Mining. I've titled today's show, The Gang of Weasels Just Lost Another Conflict. Well, that was uh, the title of Bob Moriarty in a March 7th piece that he wrote. And uh, Bob is one of our guests today, along with Michael Hudson. And as I said, Chen Lin is here as well. As the incomes of global Americans have been redistributed from the poor and middle classes up to the top one-tenth of one percent, more dramatically than at any time since the 1920s, extremely rich, powerful members of the World Economic Forum have, according to Bob Moriarty, been engaging in a never-ending propaganda campaign out of hysteria, out of hysteria, I should say, in an effort to keep average people from believing their own eyes. Aiding the World Economic Forum in propaganda campaigns is a mainstream media that is equally out of touch with an increasingly impoverished citizen that Hillary Clinton labeled deplorables. Bob Moriarty explains the reason for mass propaganda is that the World Economic forums, gang of weasels, as he calls them, labels uh, are starting to realize that the deplorable masses are not happy with the notion espoused by the World Economic Forum that 99% of the population should become poor. That uh, plan was clearly stated by Klaus Schwab's infamous declaration that, quote, you will own nothing and you will be happy, end of quote. That was at Davos in January 2021. In his March 7th essay at uh, 321gold.com, Bob Moriarty concluded by suggesting that the real reason for an abundance of hysterical propaganda is that the gang of weasels understands that they are losing big time, according to Bob. 
He says that citizens are beginning to realize that freedom is not free and it must be paid for as demonstrated by the Canadian truck drivers. Well, as I say, Bob will be with me in the second half of today's show to talk about his controversial statements. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to Michael Hudson, who will be with me right after our first commercial break to talk about Hannon Metals' world-class sedimentary-hosted silver-copper exploration project in Peru that is coming along very nicely. They'll be drilling, I understand, in the third quarter of this year, so that is something I'm really looking forward to. But right now, I'm also looking forward to hearing what Chen Lin has to say. He's back with me uh, right now. Thanks for joining me, Chen. Thank you, Jay. Glad to be here. Really glad to have you, uh, Chen. And, you know, these are really crazy markets. You would know as well as anyone, supply chain issues. And, and now we have a Fed that is tightening credit conditions into a slowing economy, commodity bull market. Uh, in the past, these have always led to recessions. Uh, it's clear to me that our economy can't take rate hikes much higher than where they are now uh, without triggering a recession. But uh, I don't know if you agree with that or, or how you're thinking about things, especially now. After the pandemic, we're, we're given a, a war to deal with, um, and that is having all kinds of ramifications on the global markets. But I'd just like to hear what your thoughts are on the markets and how you're, how you're investing accordingly. Yeah, it's interesting market, isn't it? Yesterday yeah. was a big day for gold and then week for biotech. Today, biotech was a huge day and, and then everything else. And gold got weak and it's just one day back and forth. I mean, I have a pretty good balance between gold, biotech and energy. So I'm having a very good year so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, 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 the thing about what I see is there, um, that there's so much swing of the gold price uh, right now. Uh, there's a rumor, as I mentioned in my newsletter, that Russian may be selling gold, may be forced to sell some gold because they need to fund their war effort. That's a possibility mm-hmm. that could explain why gold went straight down from you know 2000 mm-hmm. to, to 1900. 19, 19, 19, now, yeah. mm-hmm. if if we learn Russian selling gold, there will be you know more suppression of gold. There will be legally suppressed gold price, mm-hmm. right? So, so that that that's the thing. I think that gold investors need to be careful. It may come, it may may not. I, I do not know. But if it, if it comes, it will be a great buying opportunity because writing is on the war right now. Uh, the Russian, China, and all the other, lot of other countries, between even Russia and India, they're going to trade to use their own currency. They cannot use dollar anymore. We will not mm-hmm. allow them, right? Mm-hmm. So, that, uh, there, there will be a new uh, financial system in the world, and likely mm-hmm. they will be backed by gold because nobody trusts anybody other people's paper anymore. Mm-hmm. But that's right. the thing. And then China's gold reserve, I mentioned many times, is only about one-tenth of the United States. So I think China needs to dramatically increase its gold, gold reserve. I mean, China's gold reserve is even weaker, even less than Russia, I believe. So, so there will be a lot of physical buying, and it will be, we are going run into a bull market of gold for many, many years. But there may be a little bit bump on the way, and just want people to be careful about that. We need to sidestep if they're more be prepared to buy when, when that comes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Chen, you've always been known as someone who takes a look at markets and finds opportunities uh, in from adversities. I'm, I'm thinking about when I first met up with you there years ago, uh, there was a, um, uh, you know, there, there was some uh, geological problems and uh, in Chile, and the um, and the paper producers weren't able to produce 
paper and you found opportunities in Canada, or I'm remembering the financial crisis of 2008 when Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae went out of, you know, were having, were, their share prices were trashed, uh, and so was Farmer Mac. Uh, their share price, that share price was trashed as well during the financial crisis, but you realized the farmers were paying their loans, and you went out and bought some Farmer Mac and made a fortune, did very well with that. Uh, do you see some opportunities now that uh, may be arising from the sanctions and all that's going on related to the uh, to the Russian invasion in the Ukraine? Yes, uh, exactly. I, I discussed in the past uh, three or four letters, uh, you know, in the past week. I, I see uh, some great opportunities. One one easy opportunity is the Kinross, right? Kinross is the top seven mine in the world. They are about one percent. I mean, ten percent Russian exposure. I mean, that was down thirty percent, right? So because the Pinross had some issues at the end of last year, the fire of their mill, and they're also they're buying the Great Bear, right? So uh, the stock actually trading half of valuation of all the other big miners. Their top seven mines in the world, Pinross is one of the seven. They're trading about less than half, half or less. So that's a very easy buy, right? You just buy a very liquid, you just buy Kinross for a round, and uh, it, 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 I think eventually either got, got taken out or they will catch up. But those valuations will converge because money mm-hmm. goes to where the value is. Sure, that's one possibility. Another one I'm looking at is a little bit more risky. It's called Polymetal. It's a uh, it's top ten miners gold mine in the world. It's in a lot of ETF gold, silver miners all this ETF. It's not really completely Russian, right? People mm-hmm. say, oh, Russian. Uh, they are about 55% Russian, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're 45 in another, it's a Kazakhstan. It's like a, uh, it's a formal Soviet republic, but it's an independent country, and then it's not on the sanction at all. So mm-hmm. because they are over 50%, and so all these uh, funds want to sell them, and they're on the blacklist, they think they're Russian. They probably not. I mean, they can. There are a lot of things they can do. They can spin off their Russian asset. They can sell some Russian asset, right, and then make it less than fifty percent. And then, like other Russian stock, it went down more than ninety percent. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, it's paid like a sixty percent dividend, sixty seventy percent annual dividend. No kidding. They're going to pay another dividend in May. So mm-hmm. that's the one I I I like. I think it's um, it's just like those. Uh, extraordinary circumstance and then yeah. you want to buy and then you probably want to do it soon because I think the end of the quarter which is uh, next week probably will be mark of the end of the selling right all the funds have to liquidate mm-hmm. and show their book they don't have any Russian stock and mm-hmm. they, this right. will be sold it will, it will be sold uh, with all the mm-hmm. others so, mm-hmm. so that's so a, is... like a good opportunity right so yeah. Uh, and, and, and then just keep your eye open. And then there's a, we, we decide there's another new IPO, uh, Uranium IPO, which I'm going to visit in a week and a half. It's called Ivor Exploration. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in the Nevada. Uh, historical producer produced 50% of uranium histo- historically. Okay, so mm-hmm. 50% of Nevada uranium came from this mine. So mm-hmm. we're trying to mm-hmm. bring this online. Uh, next gen, a lot of next gen investor directors in this technical team in this very high grade, one of the highest grade. So I'm kind of excited. Just IPO this week, uh, IVOR, and um, I'm going to I'm look. I'm looking forward to visit them in a week and a half. I believe it's trading. Uh, IVOR is trading in Canada now, if I've got that right. But it will be. 
I guess they're going to raise like a secondary offering. They're going to raise some money, probably a serious amount of money, huh? Do you know how much in, they're raising? Yeah, in the future, right. They yeah. were doing the pre-IPO raise. I was hoping to get my uh, subscribers in. That I explained to my subscriber, I haven't got management, you know, some kind mm-hmm. of commitment. But then there's a big, there's a big uh, fund manager, uh, rich guy, Michael Gentile. He got in and he basically pushed out all everybody. So we can we can get in this round. But maybe in the future round, I mean, I can help my subscribers to get in. But the stock is, it, it looks very very interesting. High grade, one of the highest grade past producing. Uh, in Nevada, uh, right off I eighty, so it's not uh-huh. remote. So. Right. So I, I'm going to I'm going to fly to Reno and visit them in uh, in a week oh. and a half. Oh, very interesting. Well, I'm seeing it selling. It's I don't know how much it's not trade forty one thousand shares only trading today in Canada, at seventy four cents Canadian. And but Chen, uh, it says there's only sixteen point seven million shares. Obviously, that's going to change probably in a big way pretty soon. Once they, yeah, they start to uh, tell the story, I think that they mm-hmm. different valuation, yeah, they, they will be, they will be a very different story, yes. Yeah, Hopefully. I think very, oh, we'll see. very, I, yeah, I, I, mm-hmm. very interesting. Well, we're just with about a minute left here, Chen, uh, what about Amaris, uh, Triceta, a couple of your favorite biotechs? Oh, yeah, my, my, my five tiger are all doing so well today. <laughs> I mean, each of them up at least 5%, almost 5%, Amaris at 4.5%. Yeah. Although the other, I, I, you know, I see biotech completely turn around because biotech is not market sensitive. You know, curing disease shouldn't have nothing to do with the Fed raising interest rate, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it was down so much, it's down to the toilet, and I buying them in the bottom of the market in the past year. So far, so good. Everything I, I see, they all have a lot of catalysts coming, and uh, they, 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 one of my five tiger AXXM, actually have a very significant catalyst. They could have two approval, FDA approval in the next uh, month and two. So oh, so that's okay. the most exciting one. But there are also other ones. And then also for, okay. for takeover, another of my Tiger Magical just listed a top take, a 10 takeover target of, by the bio, whatever, the newsletter. I mean, the super uh-huh. famous bio. They, 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 they say they listed this as one of the top Takeover company. It happened to be one of mine. <laughs> I'm very happy well, about well, that. You're very happy so, about that. Um, well, and so are your yeah, subscribers. Yeah, I, I, might add. I yeah. was getting. I was buying at fifty. I talked to my subscriber. I was buying at fifty-five cents, a fifty-five dollar. I'm sorry, uh, a few uh, a few weeks ago. Now it, today uh-huh. it's hitting a hundred now. So oh. it's like <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, very, very good, Chad. Happy very good. good. Well, <laughs> well, of course, uh, folks. It's ChenPicks.com. If you're interested in subscribing to Chen's letter, he does. He does come up with some doozies, no doubt about it. And I mean that in a good way, doozies, uh, winners. So thanks, Chen, for uh, sharing your thoughts with us. It's much appreciated. All right, folks, uh, we do We do have to go to break now, but don't go away because Michael Hudson will be with us uh, to talk about Hannon Metals and their exploration efforts. Very successful ones, by the way, in uh, Peru. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Hudson. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. 
Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQX is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, Funding in place and shareholders such as Eric Sprott. SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me once again Michael Hudson. He's the director, CEO, and chairman of Hannon Metals, which is a company I've been following for some time now. It is a top pick in my newsletter. It is a sponsor to this show. Hannon trades in Canada under the symbol H-A-N. You can buy it in the States, as I have, under H-A-N-N-F. Trading today at around 21 cents in U.S. monies, uh, 92.4 million shares outstanding, giving you a market cap, a minuscule market cap, I might emphasize, of $20 million dollars. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Thanks, Jay. It's always a pleasure to to join you. It's really good to have you because you are a very experienced uh, mine exploration geologist who's had a lot of success. Looks to me like you're on to another one that I'm following anyway. That's Hannon Metals. And uh, maybe just give our listeners, those that might not be familiar with your story, it's a sedimentary hosted copper silver target in Peru, pretty much overlooked until you started paying some attention to it a few years back. Uh, give our listeners a sense of perhaps grades and, and scale of this sedimentary hosted target that you're uh, exploring. Sure, Jay. It's, uh, it's, it's always an interesting question just to, just to describe the scale of the project. And, and um, I think uh, we had a conversation off air and, and the comment was it was beyond big yeah. in terms of what we're looking for. And, and and that that's the preface to, I suppose how how we got there. I, I was running around Peru as a geologist in the 90s and had indications of, well, knew of the indications of copper on the eastern side of the Andes, so the high the high jungle areas. So traditionally been a harder area to explore. I, I was exploring around there for for different commodities in the 90s. And um, and then myself and my long-term business partner were working for one of the world's majors, Pazminko. We bought their 
database from the receivers. So we had a huge database um, at hand that we've had for the last 20 plus years. And so it was a, a watch and wait, and and certainly the social side of things changed a lot over in the on the, in that eastern side. Uh, you know, there was it was a big drug growing area back in 20 years ago, and that was absolutely cleaned up, and and the infrastructure has changed hugely, and and um, and then I suppose you know get, gaining a bit more experience and ability to raise capital on ideas. Um, essentially, that's what geologists do, right? We're running big scientific experiments, and, sure. and when they work, they 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 can create huge value, and and so we stake these projects about three years now. COVID hit, and it, it gave us a bit of a, a hiatus, but we've had uh, a lot of exploration over the last year. So just to describe the project, it's a sediment-hosted copper project. It's like a big blanket that, that forms at one stratigraphic level or one horizon in, mm-hmm. in the rock mass. And, and these systems tend to be extensive. And that's what we've certainly proven here in, in Peru. So our, our, our exploration tenure extends for more than a hundred kilometers in a north south direction. Uh, and, you know, east west in tens of kilometers. So we're only looking in detail at a smaller area at the moment. Uh, we've, we've gone through an EIA to go through to drill permitting and that's advanced well and, and we should be drilling this project, which is, which is the next big step, uh, sometime around Q3 this year. So, so we, we've demonstrated this pancake layer over this vast area. And, and it's, it, it's really been a, a process of de-risking as, as geologists do from the, the large scale down to the known. And we've got to the point where we've done a lot of work on the ground in this smaller area, this EIA area. Uh, that's the eight by three kilometers, still vast. And if, if, <laughs> it, if it proves, uh, big enough in that area alone, um, we're, we're, we're really off to the races. You know, there's, there's enough scale there to, to produce something that could be potentially mineable. And, and, and we've trenched this uh, horizon over this eight kilometres and, and found it averages one metre at 2% copper and an ounce silver. Now, that may not mean a lot to anybody, but it's, in, it's commensurate with what is one of the world's greatest copper deposits on Earth and still the biggest silver uh, producer on Earth, and that's the Kufa Schiefer in, in Poland, which is a geological analogue. So commercially, we're within the similar grades and thicknesses. And, and I suppose just to, just to talk about the commercial side of things, you know, Hannon has uh, two different arms. I'm talking about the sediment hosted copper now, and we've also got a, a porphyry uh, copper gold uh, target area a few hundred kilometres south. We're a top 10 landholder, one of the only juniors um, who, who compete with the major companies in Peru. We've got a huge land tenure. And, and of the sediment hosted system, we've got about two thirds in joint venture with the Japanese government, uh, their arm that goes looking for and partnering with companies like ours called Jogmec. They're spending 35 million US dollars to earn a 75% interest in, in their portion, which is two thirds of our, our ground for the sediment hosted system. And, and one third is in our own right where, where we've been working and finding similar, um, earlier stage exploration in our own right, in our own ground, because Jogmec have been funding their side, uh, quite, quite, um, actively. I, I should say the Jogmec side, uh, we own a hundred percent still and until they spend 
$8 million of high-risk capital, um, they, they won't have any ownership. So we're running things where we still have 100% ownership and using other people's money essentially for Hannon shareholders. Yeah, it's very good. And, uh, you know, I mean, with a, as I just mentioned, a $20 million market cap with this vast target that you're looking at, uh, it seems to me that when the drills start to turn and people can start to envision in the third dimension a little bit of what you've you know been able to look at, because I think most of it isn't on surface, but you have some surface samples that you've picked up. Uh, it seems to me that that will be the market mover when people start to perceive that this has that kind of um, scale that you're talking about. If it's mineralized, you know, anywhere near, you know, what would you say, 8.3 kilometers or something like that? Um so the drills are going to turn then you've, yeah, along the third quarter, I believe you said, right? That, that's correct. We've, we've now submitted our EIA, um, and that, that was a, a year, a body of work uh, from environmental to social to archaeological monitoring and measurements and, and demonstrating what we're doing will have uh, low impact and all those kind of things that modern mining companies must do. And, and um, that, that's behind us now. So it's been submitted and we're just waiting for that, uh, that approval. And once that occurs, uh, we, we're going through all the logistics and seeking quotes now for drilling. Those are the kind of things that don't necessarily get investors excited, but they're very necessary. And I know you've been very patient, and you underscore the need for investors to be patient. It's just this business, that's the nature of this business anytime. But I know you've laid the groundwork in talking with the, the local stakeholders, which I think is absolutely imperative, and it's also what you should do. It's the right thing to do. The people, and you're working in their backyard, you must respect them and give them the right to uh, to participate and, and to really thrive from from what you're doing, you're involved in a wealth-creating industry, and those people stand to benefit. But you need to take the time uh, to uh, to make sure that they're on board, and you have an agreement, and you understand each other, right? Uh, that's very well said, Jay. Actually, I, I couldn't have put it better. You, you've got to have your A-grade game on wherever you operate, and and especially in frontier areas. I mean, we're doing things here that others haven't done before, and and that therefore means that the local people don't really understand what mineral exploration is all about, that the oil companies were here in the 70s and 80s and, and they were very different times and different scale of exploration and, and it didn't necessarily leave the best taste in the mouth of the locals, so mm-hmm. mouths of the locals. So so uh, we, we've been working very, very hard and um, and for the very reasons that you outlined and, and if one simple point, if you, uh, we just used to send geologists in to look at rocks and, and then we might send social people in to talk to the locals after that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't do that now. It's social people first and then rock people second. And mm-hmm. if you get people off on the wrong foot, like anything in life, uh, if, if my interactions when we first met many years ago were, was unpleasant, you wouldn't think much of me going forward. And mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the same thing, uh, with, uh, anybody, including, uh, local people in Peru who who um, are, are the custodians of the land and and we're on their land. Right, exactly. And uh, wondering, uh, so the environmental issue, I think things look pretty. I mean, that's what you're referring to. The EIA has to do with partially environmental issues, right? So, are there any environmental issues that could pop up that you're aware of? Well, they're they're they're, they're sensitive areas. Um, each area where we work is generally in remote areas so they're unique habitats in their own mm-hmm. right but sure not, we've gone out of our way actually in staking these projects to avoid any protected areas um, life is too short um, in my early 50s I, I certainly don't want a 10-year battle trying to 
do things that are really tough. So, so we just avoid any areas where there's any sort of protection overlays. We avoid any of the indigenous areas that just takes so much longer to permit. Um, so we've tried to create a simpler life for everybody by, by doing so. And then uh, what we're doing is just standard drill permitting uh, for, for Peru. So it's not nothing uh, new or different, but um, Peru is, um, is known uh, to be to not be the fastest jurisdiction, but um, the prize certainly here is uh, very much worth it. And, and you know, the market cap is reflective of a small junior with a few results and, and um, you know, smarter people around us uh, are all anticipating, as you are, the, the drilling, because that will prove the thesis that we've done in two dimensions now um, over the last year. But uh, that third dimension will be the real, uh, the real, opportunity for people to envisage just how big this really can be. Just real quickly, Mike, I'm wondering about metallurgical studies. Have you done anything on metallurgy? Uh, that's one question. And the other one, if you could uh, kind of quickly sum this up, um, you, you seem to be very excited about your copper gold porphyry system. Uh, it's very early days, but maybe you just real quickly give us a re- an understanding why you're really excited about that story. Yeah, so metallurgically, um, we, we don't have any fresh rock. We've got surface rock, so, mm-hmm. so yeah. we've done mineralogical studies and the mineralogy of this uh, sediment hosted system is is very good it's it's a mineral called chalcosite which is probably the purest form of copper um, metallurgically very easy and clean and and we know that there's there's literally no impurities um, you know in 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 and so it'll be a very desirable product uh, to produce uh, if if we ever find enough and, and and get a mine up and running of course but but metallurgically it looks fantastic um, is is really the the answer and we've gone through that with the Japanese mm-hmm. um, over the last six months um, and remembering this is also going to be a very large silver project because uh, silver will certainly be a byproduct with an ounce of silver coming with every few percent of copper mm-hmm. And then to answer your question around the copper gold porphyry targets, very different, a lot more traditionally understood um, these the style of targets. I mean, they're the most prolific form of copper in in the world, and the copper gold um, subclass is really where the major gold companies need to go to keep up their their production of gold. Um, they're, they're, they're huge suppliers of gold and will become even more important. So. Now, all major companies kick the tyres, so I'm not trying to say something that doesn't exist, but the, the majority of the companies that have been kicking the tyres around us on these porphyry targets are, are the gold companies more so than the traditional base metal companies, um, I, I, I should say. And, and, and you know, the, the opportunity is huge. It's about half our ground position, and we, we don't talk about it as much uh, in the public domain yet, because we've been basically doing that groundwork, what we talked around, social side of things, putting the social people to work after we've collected a bit of initial data. And, and you know, only over the last three or four months, the permits have started to be granted. We can start to deal with the local people in, with, with much more in a granular nature. And, and we've been starting to produce the first results. In fact, our last press release was on... Uh, uh, soil sampling mm-hmm. from from those areas. Now that seems awfully vague, probably to a lot of people, but um, we we've got uh, anomalies over kilometres um, mm-hmm. above porphyries that we're really rewriting the geological and economic geological textbook on. Uh, we found these these intrusive rocks that bring the copper are the same age 
um, the very fertile ages, those that produce all the copper in, in the Andes, you know, and Peru is one of the top uh, few countries in terms of copper production in the world. And, and it extends right down to Chile, which is, of course, the um, one the the largest copper producer. So so we've we've rewritten the opportunity out in this part of the Andes again. Um, and uh, I, I think, um, you know, this will probably be arguably one of the greater discoveries of my my career. Wow. It's, you know, early early days. Let let let's see. And um, and it's it's really the 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 icing on the cake it's it's quite crazy people don't believe one of these large stories let alone two and and we're working very actively on on both sides the the, the sediment hosted system majority with uh jogmic uh, and um and then the copper gold porphyries in our own right, right. and and, and I- and I suppose just two analogues, you know, you only really have to go and look at Sol Gold or Solaris, which are one to two billion dollar market caps on porphyry copper gold systems in the Andes. And, and, and that's, they're, they're, that's who we're chasing. That's who we mm-hmm. want to be. Excellent. Well, I wish we had more time, Michael. We're out of time. I want to thank you so much for, for that update. A lot to be excited about with a $20 million market cap. I've got to tell you, seeing will be believing, I believe. So we'll see and we'll be watching very closely. Thank you so much for, for updating us today on Hand and Metals, Michael. Thanks. Thanks, Jay. All right, folks, we do have to go to break now. Don't go away, though, because Bob Moriarty will be with us. And Bob, I know, loves this story that you just heard from Michael. Uh, but he'll be here to talk about a whole lot of other things as well. Uh, the very colorful Bob Moriarty will be with us right after the break. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka Project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back, Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really happy to have Bob Moriarty with me once again. He is a proprietor of 321 Gold. It's a site that I keep my eyes on. I keep it open in my computer virtually all day long. I keep uh, my eyes peeled on that because there's a lot of good stuff on there with, regarding economics, markets, geopolitics, um, and also uh, you know, very, various uh, companies that I follow that uh, Bob also has as sponsors. Uh, Bob has as sponsors I've recommended in my newsletter, and some of which are also sponsors to this show. 
what I want to talk to Bob about, have him, have him talk to us about, really, is this March 7th article that was posted at 321 Gold uh, titled, The Gang of Weasels Just Lost Another Conflict Because They Are Tone Deaf, end of quote. So, uh, Bob, thanks for joining me again. Well, it's good to talk to you. It's uh, good to have you in your late in your day in France, I might add. It must be, what time is it there? It's about 8 o'clock or uh, 9 o'clock. Yeah. Getting on to 9 o'clock, I suppose, right? So, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so the Gang of Weasels, I mean, who who are some of the more prominent members of the Gang of Weasels? Okay, uh, obviously the leader is Klaus Schwab, which you've got Davos, you've got uh, George Soros, you've got Bill Gates, and the whole World Economic Forum uh, is, I I think you could call it the one-tenth of one percent, and they want to control the world and have the 99% literally be slaves to them, and by 2030, you will owe nothing, and you will own nothing. But that's the definition of slavery. And there's a battle going on, and I wrote that piece after Trudeau started seizing bank accounts in Canada mm-hmm. from who were doing something that was perfectly legal and perfectly reasonable at the time. And strange enough, we've had this uh it, it worked so well for Trudeau that Biden's doing the same thing with sanctions against Russia, mm-hmm. and blowback is going to be catastrophic. Well, I hope we can get into that a little bit. The World Economic Forum then is, uh, uh, it's you know those are the leaders of the forum, but it's a it's a big class of a large class of people. I suppose Trudeau might fit in very well there. I think Michael Bloomberg, uh, Bloomberg certainly fits in there very well with the. Uh, uh, probably with the gang of weasels. Um, would you agree? Are those uh, people that, that are part of it? Yeah, absolutely. Trudeau, uh, it's part Friedland, who's a deputy prime minister of Canada. But even Zelensky and Putin were part of it. The prime minister of New Zealand was part of it. And Klaus Schwab has bragged on video about how the World Economic Forum has literally infiltrated governments all over the world. They're an incredibly powerful group, but their plan is flawed, and it's going to blow the world's economy up. Um, Yeah, I mean, the, the, the statement that you referred to, Klaus Schwab, I mean, this is very bold. They obviously think they have the power and they have the ability to deceive uh, the masses uh, through propaganda. They figure that they, uh, they are the elite and they are superior to the rest of the human beings, the rest of us deplorables, as Hillary Clinton called us. Um, so, yeah, the direct quote was, you will own, uh, this is the direct quote that I have in front of me, you will own nothing and you will be happy, he's saying to the masses. I mean, this is really repulsive. Well, it, it's pretty scary but he's written a book, and he's as serious as a heart attack. And, and strange enough, the whole COVID narrative that has now evolved into the Ukraine narrative, it's all part of the same battle. But these people are actually stupid at heart. Uh, 
in all of history, the elites have always believed that they were smarter and better than the plebes, and they mm-hmm. should run things. And they always screw it up, and they're screwing this up, this sheer panic on the part of the World Economic Forum. Well, you're, certainly the, the gist of your article was, um, was hopeful. Um, you know, as I sit here in New York and I see what they're doing all the time, I, I hear all the propaganda that is so one-sided. I mean, I, I could look at the January 6th situation in which people, what they called it um, an insurrection. It was the funniest insurrection I've ever seen. There were no guns. There were no, I mean, they went in with flagpoles. It was a, if it was an insurrection, it was, a, it was the most impotent, stupidly planned insurrection in the history of humankind. And yet, people are rotting in jail. I just was reading about one person who committed suicide because he couldn't stand the idea of being locked up without a lawyer forever. I mean, um, is, that part of this, is that part of what we had, the, black, you know, the, the riots of 2020, uh, the January 6th situation? These all seem to be part of the same the same game, it seems to me. Well, no, you're, you're absolutely correct. And it's they believe they can control the narrative. And, and you used a very good term. It's all propaganda. Now, when BLM and Black Lives Matter and Antifa were rioting and 25 people were killed and $2 billion in damage was done, there was a really famous video on television where a guy's standing in front of a burning building and he's saying the most peaceful, it's a mostly peaceful protest. And I'm thinking, God, that isn't a peaceful protest. But if you compare that to the Canadian truckers, that was absolutely a peaceful protest. But if you listen to Trudeau, you were thinking you would believe you were dealing with the biggest monsters in the world. And the whole January 6th thing, the police were actually letting the protesters uh, into the Capitol. Uh, and for them to, no, nobody went to jail from Antifa and mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter, even mm-hmm. though those were serious riots. But they've had people in jail for 15 months now. Uh, we, we have destroyed the legal system in the United States. And the whole COVID thing, we went through two years of solid propaganda. And I just realized the government spent a couple of billion dollars literally on advertisements for the vaccine. And if you look at what's going on in Ukraine, Someone is spending a lot of money trying to create this narrative where the, the Ukrainians are the good guys and Putin's some kind of monster. And uh, if you want to know what's going on, you need to pay attention to the narrative of the mainstream media and then invert it. And the inverted narrative is the actual truth. Uh, mm-hmm. Mainstream media is lying about everything. It seems to be uh, sort of my sense of things, too. Pfizer uh, laid off, I think, uh, over 100 of their salespeople, and I, and they're making tons of money, and it's, I suppose it has something to do with the fact that the ads I look at every day, it seems almost unending for vaccines, have something to do with the fact that the government is financing those ads, and, um, well, it's just 
the way it is. It seems to be the way it is. I don't know where, uh, when I learned about economics, they called that fascist economics, where large corporations are in bed with government, and governments and the large corporations are. That's what, though, Bob, what, what worries me is that the, it seems that our government is so much in bed with uh, with this propaganda, and it, it it seems to me that this is what we better damn well believe, or you're going to be in trouble. Well, that's absolutely correct, but the real key to it is that everything they try to do, they end up failing. Now, the head of Pfizer had just come out the last week and said you need a fourth shot. Well, if the first shot didn't work and the second shot didn't work and the third shot didn't work, why would you need a fourth shot? They've lost control of that, so they shifted to Ukraine, and it's a totally fictitious. They made the whole thing up. The United States has been pushing Putin for years. Nobody in the United States is trying to end that war. What they're trying to do is prolong the war, and while they're doing that, you have Ukrainians and Russians dying, and it's totally meaningless. It's as meaningless as the war in Afghanistan and the war in Iraq. Why are we doing this? It's total insanity. No, well, we haven't been in wars to win them. That was obvious from the days you were flying missions in Vietnam, Bob. I don't think that we winning the war is really the objective. The objective I think President Eisenhower understood it very well when he warned about the military-industrial complex as he was leaving office. Uh, do you agree with that? And then I would like to also ask you, you said that we've been pushing Putin. Perhaps you could explain that, because I don't think that's something that most people have any idea about. Well, the, the CIA and the mainstream media and, and certainly the administration has been demonizing Putin for years. I mean, there's right. not knew about this. They're trying to make him into some kind of monster who wants to recreate the Soviet Union. And the actual fact of the matter is that what Putin was demanding of Ukraine was exactly the same thing that John F. Kennedy was demanding of the USSR in 1962, and it was reasonable. He does not want an aggressive neighbor uh, with nuclear weapons on its front porch, and that's perfectly reasonable. This war is absolutely meaningless. It's not going to solve anything. And in fact, the sanctions are going to blow the world's financial system smithereens. We're going to see uh, $200 gas. We're going to see uh, people starving. Uh, we're simply freezing, and I'm talking about millions of them. The supply system was broken prior to the war. Mm -hmm. This gotten so absurd, who would have imagined that Switzerland would get involved and start talking about putting sanctions on anybody? If, if anybody goes back and actually studies what Putin has repeated again and again and again and again, what he wanted was perfectly reasonable. Mm -hmm. He wanted a neutral state in Ukraine, and uh, obviously we, we had something to do with it. I think uh, perhaps your um, Klaus Schwab and company, I don't know if they were directly involved or not, but 2014, we certainly had some NGOs that were involved. I uh, in overthrowing that elected government in 2014, the United States has 
been involved in so many different foreign elections and government changes, uh, change regime changes, uh, that most people are not, are totally unaware of. And David Stockman talked about this on my show a few weeks back as well. But Bob, to most people, it would sound totally conspiratorial and nutsy to suggest there was a connection between COVID and that propaganda that it surrounded COVID, and then a war that that occurs uh, in uh, you know in the Ukraine. And most people are saying, "Well, that's just that doesn't make any sense. How could how could Putin and all the rest of these factors be? You know, how could we decide to have a war now because the game plan isn't working anymore for COVID?" I mean, explain that to us so we could, I don't, it's, it's hard for most people, including myself, to believe that could be the case, that there's a coordinated effort to make these things happen. Well, here's the real key. If you look at the BLM and mm-hmm. Antifa, the reality was exactly the opposite of the narrative. There was mm-hmm. constant propaganda, ongoing propaganda, day after day after day after day. But if you actually looked at it, you were looking at people doing serious rioting, burning mm-hmm. buildings down, killing people, mm-hmm. but the media wasn't saying anything about it. And then you went into COVID, and we started COVID with uh, we needed to, to have a two-week lockdown. Well, the two weeks turned into two years. And that whole fiasco, uh, it, it, you know, I can't even go into COVID because that's so crazy. But we went from COVID, COVID, COVID to Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. Wow. I mean, somebody is controlling us because they just flipped a switch and they Mm -hmm. went one thing right on to another. And, you know, what are they going to go into next? I don't know. But is this an accident? Absolutely not. If you read what Klaus Schwab has had to say, if you listen to Trudeau, you realize, wait a minute, these guys have planned this. This is all deliberate. Mm-hmm. And it's all, uh, I mean, it's beyond fascist. It, it's, it, it's a criminal conspiracy where all these guys belong in jail. It, it's, they're killing millions of people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Bob, there's uh, Edward Bernays was the nephew of Sigmund Freud. He's known as the father of modern propaganda. He was involved. I think he he did provide some advice to um, uh, to Hitler, to Hitler's uh, propagandists, and he was involved apparently, as I understand it, in helping Americans to accept the CIA uh, overthrow of the Guatemalan government on behalf of United Fruit Brands, so United Fruit Brands could get its fruit out of there. He was involved also in a campaign to get American women to uh, to start smoking. Uh, it made it look sexy for American women. To, I mean, it was a propaganda campaign that worked very well. And his philosophy was, as I understand it, that democracy cannot be efficient. You can't really have a democracy if you allow all these different ideas uh, to prevail. And so we've had qualified scientists on the uh, bioscientists on the uh, on the COVID matter that we're not allowed and we're silenced and we're taken off of Twitter and off of, uh, you know, off of uh, Facebook and YouTube and various places like that. Um, but it seems to me that this was uh, Edward Bernays, that philosophy seems to be in practice now, perhaps uh, from the World Economic Forum. Very much so, it would seem to me. What do you think? No question whatsoever. Uh, 
if people will look at the little pop-up ads, uh, a lot of different websites have these ads that come up, and we're used to ignoring them. There are literally hundreds of advertisements to do something for Ukraine, and, and somebody has to pay for that. That's not an accident. I, I was absolutely shocked to find out the United States government spent billions of dollars on the vaccines and then billions of dollars more uh, promoting the vaccines, but they didn't spend anything on testing the vaccines. And now well, I said, wait a minute, we should have done a lot more testing. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing we're not really, they're very slow in releasing the uh, the results of, of, uh, of these tests. I mean, the results of people taking the vaccines, there have been, uh, seems like Pfizer and others have been very slow in, in releasing that information. Uh, there, there, uh, there are, there still is some freedom of speech in this country, uh, and you can, you can hear alternative views, but you don't hear them very much from the mainstream anymore because the mainstream is, is clearly... Um, you know, it was, it's clearly working in the, the Bernaysian propaganda thing, it seems to me, anyway. You agree? No, that's, that's absolutely correct. But because of the Internet, the mainstream media and the propaganda arm of whoever they're operating for uh, has lost control of the narrative. And if people would go to alternative websites like yours and mine, I, I'm not saying that everything other than mainstream media is a fountain of truth because yeah. it's not. Yeah. But uh, you get some truth, and you're not getting any truth from the mainstream media. They're just flat. I, I'm serious about this. They're lying about everything. Uh, Bob, with just a couple of minutes left here, want to get your ideas on then you, you mentioned sanctions, and David Stockman talked about that as well on our show. He talked about how there's a major railroad that goes through through Russia that delivers goods from China to Europe, and he's saying that um, you know people are afraid to put their stuff on the on on the you know on the train going through Russia, They're, they'll be blackmailed or whatever, uh, and and so that is creating a huge you know supply chain problem. So we're looking as you saying supply chain issues were big before the war as a result of COVID lockdowns and so forth. But how does this how does this play out? And and do you see the dollar as being under some some real pressure here? We've got two minutes left. Okay, well, actually, what's going to happen? David Stockman's done some brilliant writing lately about the sanctions. We are at the most important pivot point in world history with sanctions. They're not going to hurt Russia. They're going to hurt the rest of the world. It is going to give us hyperinflation. It's going to give us far higher energy prices. The supply chain is going to be destroyed. Uh, the entire world is a cesspool of debt that is never going to get paid. And Russia and China are going to get together, and I am absolutely convinced Russia will go to a gold standard and insist on getting paid for oil in, in gold. And when they do, it's going to change the world's financial system permanently. That's a fourth turning. We're talking about a fourth turning and a new monetary regime, which uh, I agree, and I think Russia has thought this out before when it, it knew what we would do. Uh, and it has been aligning, aligning itself with, 
with China. And as Landon David was pointing out, that in fact, I guess it's Alistair McLeod, that uh, Russia has a 17% flat tax, less than 20% debt to GDP. Ours is 130%. And the regulatory regime is, is minuscule compared to ours. So all of these things, in spite of Putin not perhaps being the, the nicest gentleman in the world, uh, the life for Russians, at least by, the, by that crowd, this sort of uh, libertarian criteria, looks pretty good compared to our own, I'm afraid. Uh, we, you raised a good point. Fourth turning said you're going to take one of two paths. You're either going to take a path to totalitarianism, which is the World Economic Forum at Klaus Schwab, or you're going to take a path towards independence and freedom. And I actually believe that that's what, what's going to happen. It, it's going to be catastrophic for many people, but I didn't set it up. Uh, Klaus Schwab did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll have to leave it go at that. Bob, thank you so much for your thoughts. Controversial, though I'm sure many will find them. I, uh, I certainly welcome them and I'm glad to hear an alternative voice uh, along the lines, certainly, of what I've been thinking as well. Thank you, Bob, so much for being with us. Well, folks, that is it for this week. Next week, Alistair McLeod will join me to talk about the evolution of credit and the limited future life of the dollar. And Patrick Highsmith of Timberline Gold will join me as well, and Michael Oliver, too. Until then, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Firefox Gold is exploring in Finland in the midst of an exciting new gold rush. Firefox successfully drilled high-grade and visible gold in 2021 and is now active at four prospective projects with plans to drill continuously through the first half of 2022. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, are driving the company to discovery, and the stage is set for Firefox to identify multiple new gold deposits. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX and on the OTCQB at FFOXF. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates.